My talk today is on the role played by the Naga serpent in Malay divination. <coughs> I will do this by focusing on a few examples of divinatory practices which are found in Malay magic and divination manuscripts from the late 18th to the early 20th century. The corpus of manuscripts that I'm researching originate from the Malay Peninsula, which is basically uh, southern Thailand, Peninsula, Malaysia, and Singapore, as well as a few areas from Sumatra and Borneo. These manuscripts are manuals which are compiled and used by magicians and other practitioners of magic for their work. They contain spells and talismans for activities such as healing, and protection, as well as divinatory techniques like astrology, interpreting dreams, used to predict a person's future, as well as making decisions for things like traveling, <coughs> house building, marriage, and so on. As with most Malay manuscripts, they are typically made of paper and can be found in a codex format, so like a modern day book, or in the form of folding books, like concertina shape. Up to the early 20th century, Malay manuscripts were usually written in the form of Arabic script known as Jawi, and it's read from right to left. These magic and divination manuscripts often contain many images, such as illustrations of human beings, spirits, as well as various diagrams, charts, and tables. And, and they're usually full of these images. And images of animals are very commonly found within these manuscripts. As you can see, I've put out a few examples of the types of animals which are found. Uh, you have birds, lions, elephants, fish, and, and all sorts of things. <coughs> the most commonly depicted animal, however, is the naga. So the naga is a mythical deified serpent that is a major part of the beliefs of many cultures in South Asia and Southeast Asia. The naga appears prominently in both Hinduism and Buddhism. It is a chthonic or underworld creature, and it's very strongly associated with rain and water. Um, there's some theories about why it's associated with rain and water. Probably the origin of this belief is that snakes tend to live in holes in the ground, so when it rains, they tend to come out of the ground. So that's one possible interpretation. In Southeast Asia, the animal is very strongly associated with the feminine, femaleness, and fertility and therefore complements the male upper world, upper world of birds and the afterlife. Its importance means that it is prevalent in the arts, appearing from the earliest times, and today still continues to be a common motif in architecture, painting, decorative arts, as well as theatre. In his 1926 study on the Naga in South and Southeast Asia, Jean-Philippe Vogel has divided the iconography of the creature into three basic categories. The first is where it is shown in an animal form that is of a serpent or more specifically the cobra. As Vogel notes, in South Asia, the naga is not really the snake in general, but the cobra raised to the rank of a divine being. And therefore the creature is always characterized by the snake hood, so the cobra has a hood, in which it is believed to carry a jewel. In art, the naga is usually depicted as being multi-headed with an odd number of heads, five being the most common, although three or seven are also known. 
In Southeast Asia, the depiction of the Naga as a multi-headed serpent is especially popular in the mainland, most famously in the sculptures and reliefs of Angkor in Cambodia, as you can see on the, on the right. So the Nagas can also transform themselves into the human form. Therefore, the second type of visual depiction is the Naga in the form of a human, and you can identify that they're Nagas because they have a multi-headed hood appearing from the back of the person's head or neck, as you can see on the left and on the right. In, in Southeast Asia, this is found in early Javanese art, such as on the 9th century reliefs of Borobudur. The third type, which is of a human-animal hybrid, with the upper half in the human form, lower half in the serpent form, so like a mermaid, is quite rare. And I've yet to come across this in Southeast Asian art, so if you know any examples, please let me know. Within the Malay tradition, the iconography of the multi-headed serpent appears as early as the 7th century, with a stone inscription found in Palembang, Sumatra. So the re region I'm talking about is South Sumatra there. It comes from the Buddhist kingdom Sri Vijaya and is now in the National Museum of Indonesia. It was used for Sri Vijayan subjects to take an oath of allegiance to the ruler. The text is written in the Old Malay script, Old Malay language using an Indic Southern Brahmi script. Water poured over the stone would run against the text and then collect under the spout to be drunk by the subject of the kingdom to show their loyalty to their ruler. Here you can see a seven-headed naga appearing from the back of the stone towards the top and each, hooded, each hood of the naga has a jewel on top of it. I've yet to find images of a multi-headed naga in later Malay art from the Islamic period, but textual descriptions of nagas with seven heads abound in traditional Malay literary works from the 16th century onwards, such as in the Hikayat Indraputra or Tale of Indraputra. In this tale, the hero of the story, Indraputra, comes across a huge naga with seven heads. Its mouth is wide open and it has a fiery tongue protruding from it. This and other similar tales are valuable for providing us with an insight on how the Naga is viewed within Malay society. Often the Naga is said to be a fearsome and dangerous creature, usually of a gigantic size, the size of a hill or a mountain. It is said to be scaly and often described within the literary works as having horns or chula on its multiple heads. The tales often mention how the Naga's mouth is wide open and there is a great danger of people being swallowed by it. Its open mouth is said to display a protruding tongue and some tales describe the Nagas <coughs> as breathing fire. They are said to live in the ground, in caves or in water like seas or lakes. The Nagas could also fly. In fact, sometimes the heroes are described as riding the Nagas while they fly and sometimes are described as having wings. And they are also often in conflict with the arch enemy, the Garuda. In terms of visual arts, images of the Naga from the, from the 19th to 20th century are different to the 7th century Sri Vijayan stone inscription I showed earlier, such as in these examples here. 
Unlike the stone inscription and the descriptions in traditional Malay literature, the Nagas are always depicted as a single-headed creature, you can see on the two slides. It is usually depicted less like the Indian cobra, but more akin to a Chinese dragon, but with a distinctive local Southeast Asian iconography. Here, the body of the Naga is sort of sinuous and scaly. It does not have any legs, has an elaborate tail, and on its head, there's some, some, some sort of crest, or sometimes a horn as well on its head. Like in the text, its mouth is usually depicted as being open, showing very sharp teeth and a protruding tongue. However, unlike the text, they're usually not depicted with wings. Paintings of the Naga are often found in Malay magic and divination manuscripts. This image is from a manuscript copied for Stamford Raffles, probably in Penang, dated 1806. So Penang is over there. It accompanies a text referred to as the rotating Naga. Being an underworld creature, the Naga is prominent in many rituals associated with the earth. In many Southeast Asian traditions, the erection of house posts is considered to be the most important part during house construction. Objects such as talismans, money, and food are placed underneath these house posts, not only for protection, but also act as offerings to placate the Naga and exercise the earth. At the same time, it is also important to determine the location of the Naga's body parts before digging in order to avoid calamity and this is determined by the technique known as the rotating naga. In this technique, the naga is thought to reside within the earth and rotates four times a year every three months along the four cardinal directions. In undertaking human activities, it is advisable to consult the position of its body parts, especially its head, back, belly and tail, to determine if it will be favorable or otherwise. So when you're digging for the house post, you have to make sure you don't hit the Naga's head because then it'll be very bad luck. The rotating Naga technique could be found across many parts of South Asia, Southeast Asia, and East Asia. So I'll put some examples where we know the text has been found. In 1985, Baron Yan Terwil was the first to compile together the different traditions, and my own subsequent research has since found a few uh, more additions. Now, within the various traditions of the rotating Naga across Asia, although the basic concept is the same, there are many variations in which the Naga rotates. In the Malay tradition, I've found the rotating Naga technique mentioned in around 30 magic and divination manuscripts. In the majority of cases, the rotation of the Naga goes like this. Yeah. So the Malays use the Islamic lunar calendar, and so the rotating Naga technique has been adapted to fit into the Islamic calendrical system. The cycle begins with the first three months of the Islamic calendar, Muharram, Safa, and Rabiul Awal. During these three months, the Naga faces west, its tail in the east, its back to the north, and its belly towards the south. It then rotates anti-clockwise, so in months four, five, and six, its head is in the south, its tail is in the north, and then the next three months, uh, its head is in the east, 
and then the final three months of the year, his head is in the north. Now, while the Malay rotating Naga begins the year with his head in the west and rotates in the anti-clockwise direction, the Shan version is completely different. In 1900, the British colonial administrator Sir George Scott with John Percy Hardiman published an account of the Shan rotating Naga in their book, Gazetteer of Upper Burma and the Shan States. They obtained this technique from a magic book belonging to a Shan practitioner. In the Shan calendar, the year begins with the month of Lon Seng, which is November and December, and during the first three months of the year, the Naga faces south, its tail is in the north, its belly towards the west, and its back towards the east. It then rotates in a clockwise direction, and it's important not to face the Naga's mouth in traveling, trading, or any enterprises. Now, even within the same culture, there are many variations to the rotation. For example, in the Raffles manuscript I showed earlier, there's another variation. Although in Malay examples, the Naga rotates anti-clockwise, in this manuscript, the Naga rotates clockwise, and the text begins the movements from the third month of the year rather than the first month of the year. So, incidentally, the use where the Raffles manuscript says the Naga rotates from the third month of the year is quite similar to what you find in Bugis texts from Sulawesi in Indonesia, so there might be a connection with that culture as well. Now, the Raffles manuscript also has a text, which I haven't shown here, which explains the consequences of undertaking work at various points of the Naga's body. According to the manuscript, when digging the house post, the Naga's head, tail, belly and back are to be avoided. Failure to follow this will result in sadness, loss of income, and death to the occupants of the house. Now, apart from the main body of the text, further information is given with the illustration of the Naga in this manuscript. Now, as you can see, various parts of the body are labelled. So you have the head, um, the mouth, the head, the mouth, the neck, the belly, the navel, the tail, the waist, and the back. And they're, they're accompanied with explanations on consequences of coming into contact with the relevant parts, which are more to do with warfare. Now, for example, next to its head, it's written, if approaching from the Naga's head, the outcome would be extremely bad. <coughs> if you're approaching from the Naga's back, um, in this direction in warfare is very good for killing and capturing. Now, this is different to house building, where if you approach it from the uh, Naga's back, it will cause hardship for the inhabitants. Now, there have been many speculations as to the origins of the technique of the rotating Naga. Scholars working on Southeast Asia have noted that the concept of the rotating Naga is also found in South Asia. The technique of the rotating Naga can be found in architectural treatises known as Vastu Shastra or Shilpa Shastra. These treatises deal with aspects such as selecting sites and types of buildings to be built, and they can be found in many South Asian languages. For example, according to the Sinhalese book, the Mayimataya, when the sun is in Aries, Taurus, and Gemini, the tail of the Buma Naga, or Earth Serpent, is in the west, its head in the east, its back in the north, and its belly in the south, and then it rotates clockwise. So in this copy of this Sinhalese book, 
on the front cover, it shows the rotating naga, but here, as you can see, it's in the form of a cobra. Now, Baron Yentu Wheel speculated that the text of the rotating naga was transmitted from India into Southeast Asia via uh, Dvaravati, a culture that flourished in Thailand in the 79th century through a large Shimon speaking. This is because the versions of, uh, that are closest to the Indian rotating naga are of those cultures that have had close ties to Dvaravati, such as the Thai, while the differences increase the further they are from this area. However, since Terwill's paper was first published in 1985, further examples of the rotating naga have been found across South Asia, Southeast Asia, and East Asia, which might give us further indications of the origins and transmissions of this technique. One important point that Terwill makes is that the original documents that were brought over from India must have had illustrations, because the Southeast Asian ones always do, or often do. In fact, he argues that illustrations must have played an important role in its popularity in Southeast Asia, where there's a strong tradition of esoteric and magical diagrams. Now, apart from its own, the Naga also appears in Malay manuscripts as part of a group with other animals. For example, it is part of a divinatory calendar known as the Rajang, which is a form of hemorology. So hemorology is basically trying to determine lucky and unlucky days. Here, within the Rajang technique, each day of the month or 30 days is assigned to a symbol. And these symbols are typically a mixture of living beings, usually animals and objects. Each has a good or bad influence on human activities during that particular day. So these typically include things like whether it's a good day to plant crops, traveling, whether an illness can be cured, uh, or the future of a newborn child, etc. So for example, on this screen, um, the 13th day of the month is the day of the elephant, which is the one on the right-hand side. So on that day, if you're planting crops, they will not grow. If traveling or sailing, that's not good. The 14th day on the left-hand side is the day of the lion. So on that day, God created heaven and hell. And traveling and sailing is be good, and the journey to and fro will be very quick. <coughs> According to the Rajang calendar, the Naga presides over the 10th day of the month. Uh, so the Naga is on the left, on the right, on the ninth day is the dog. So the Naga presides over the 10th day of the month. According to this Malay manuscript, which is datable to the 19th century, on the 10th day, the day of the Naga. On that day, God placed Noah on earth. If planting crops, good. If traveling or sailing, not good. You will hit a storm, but you will be safe. If one of your belongings is missing, it is lost, it will be hard to get it back. If you're attacking, good. If you're being attacked, bad. Apart from Malay, similar Rajang lists are also found among other Southeast Asian societies such as the Batak, Lampung, uh, the Javanese, this example, and the Makassaris in Indonesia. So this is Javanese example, Rajang calendar, you have the elephant followed by the lions. So I only seem to have found the Rajang calendar within maritime Southeast Asia. Uh, I haven't found any examples from mainland Southeast Asia. So if anyone knows of any examples of that, please do let me know. So the widespread um, um, usage of the Rajang calendar indicates an ancient and long-standing tradition 
although the origin of the system has been the subject of uh, some debate. Writing in 1839, the British Army officer Thomas Newbold believed that the Rajang was derived from the Nakshatra or lunar mansions of Hindu astrology. On the other hand, as the British administrator scholar Walter Skeet noted in his book Malay Magic, the Rajang and the Nakshatra systems actually do not reconcile at all. Later, in an article published in 1980, Joe Stewart has grouped the Rajang with similar Burmese and Khmer lists, uh, which he calls the Indo-Southeast Asian group of animals, which he believes might have been derived through a combination of both the Nakshatra and the Chinese 12-year animal zodiac. However, as you might have noted, the Rajang text that I mentioned earlier also connect the days of the month to events from the Islamic tradition, like associating with prophets like Noah, and therefore it is related also to hemorrhologies from the Persian tradition. So more research is needed in this area, but one important question is that, um, which is probably related to the origin of the system, is why these animals are chosen to be included, why they place where they are, on which, why is the naga on this day, why the dog is on a certain day, mm -hmm. and why some are considered uh, auspicious and others inauspicious. Um, in terms of the Naga, the day of the Naga is also the day God placed Noah on this earth. And as, as you no doubt well know, Noah is the main event that happens in the story of Noah is the Great Flood. Uh, so perhaps the association of the Naga with water means it's quite natural to associate um, the creature with that day. Uh, however, so far, this is so far just my speculation, it's something I'm researching further and I would appreciate any insights you might have uh, on this matter. Now, occasionally in Malay magic and divination manuscript, one comes across uh, this diagram of two intertwined nagas with spikes protruding from them. So, as this manuscript is from the Pantanio um, <coughs> Klantan area, so it's between Peninsula Malaysia and southern Thailand. As you can see in this diagram, each naga, so there's two nagas, has six circles. So each one has two circles on its head, two on its body, and two on its tail, so there's 12 in total. Now, these circles are joined by lines onto four points. Now, this divinatory technique is used to determine the compatibility of a couple. It's also found in divination manuscripts from other parts of Southeast Asia, such as in, such as in Thai and Mon manuscripts, like on the left. They may also appear without the Naga, such as in this Cham manuscript from Cambodia on the right. Now, according to Horace, Horace Quaritch Wales, this technique originates from the Chinese theory of hostile pairs, although I have to admit I haven't found across this diagram within Chinese sources, so if anyone has any information, uh, I appreciate it. Each circle is, represents one year of age and one of the animals of the Chinese 12-year zodiac. So to determine the compatibility of a couple, the man would count from the head to the tail, and then the woman would count from the opposite direction. If both of them end up on the head of the same naga, then the marriage would be very happy, if they land on the heads of different nagas, then most likely separate. In this manuscript uh, from Singapore dated 1907, 
the diagram takes the form of a ship with a, uh, with a um, Naga figurehead. Within the hull of this ship is a list in within so over here is a list of the Malay uh, version of the 12 animals of the Chinese zodiac. Now in the Malay version of the 12 year animal cycle, the rabbit is replaced by the mouse deer and the pig is replaced with the tortoise. The dragon is referred to usually as the large snake ular besar as opposed to the normal snake which is referred to as the second snake ulasani. In this manuscript, however, the dragon is identified as a naga, so it's, referred, it's called a naga, and it's associated with fire, which links us to the properties of the naga breathing fire. Now, the dragon of the 12th year Chinese zodiac is also referred to as called a naga in this manuscript from Kelantan dated 1894. This table lists the 12 years of the uh, Zodiac together with predictions for that year. So you have the rat, cow, tiger, mouse deer, naga, uh, snake, horse, goat, and monkey. The year of the naga, as I said, is the fifth year uh, of the cycle in between the mouse deer and the snake. Now, apart from being <coughs> the animal of one of the years within the 12-year cycle, the naga also plays a role in each of the other years as well, in terms of bringing rain. And so therefore we have connection between nagas and rain. And the text describe the number of nagas that will spray, spray rain during that year. For example, in the year of the tiger, there are six nagas spraying rain. In that year, planting rice will be good. During the 12th month, there will be heavy rains. In if planting rice, it is best to plant on a higher ground. In the year of the naga itself, there are three nagas spraying rain. In that year, there'll be a lot of rain and big floods. From the fifth to the eighth month, children will be affected by illness. Now, the conflation of the naga with the Chinese dragon is also reflected in Malay art. The 19th century Malay illustrations of the naga often show some dragon-like features, but they still exhibit some differences, notably in the absence of legs. However, there are some examples where the links with the iconography of the Chinese dragon is more obvious. The Kelantan manuscript also contains a text on the, t on the rotating naga accompanied by an illustration of the animal. Let's see on the left. Here, the naga has been given a set of four legs and feelers which are typical attributes of the Chinese dragon. Now, this is not surprising considering the long artistic connection between China and Southeast Asia. Here, the iconography of the Naga was most likely based on architectural elements in Chinese temples or from depictions of the Naga of the dragon on objects produced by Chinese craftsmen such as ceramics or textiles. So to conclude, I've shared today three types of Malay divination involving the Naga serpent. The first, the rotating Naga, is a technique that most likely originated from India, whereby as an underworld creature, great care is needed to determine the Naga's position when digging during house construction, as well as avoiding certain parts of, of its body in warfare. The second technique, the Rajan calendar, places the creature amongst other animals to determine auspicious and inauspicious days. The technique is of yet undetermined origin 
and the significance of the naga, as well as other animals, is still to be investigated. Finally, the naga is also identified with the Chinese dragon in the 12-year animal zodiac, whereby the text highlights its association with fire and water. Now, there are other Malay divinatory techniques involving the naga which I did not have time to discuss today. However, one important issue is that while there are various, various Malay divinatory techniques involving the naga, many of which are accompanied by images of the creatures as you can see here, the naga is rarely involved in terms of magical practices such as spells, incantations and talismans. This is in contrast to other South and Southeast Asian traditions where the naga is not only invoked for divination but also for spells and talismans, especially for avoiding and treating snake bites. For instance, in this uh, Burmese palm leaf manuscript contains uh, designs for protective amulets and talismans. So this one has uh, the tattoo uh, design for a tattoo which has the Garuda and Naga to protect against snake bites because the Garuda is an enemy of the Naga so it defeats serpents. But I've yet to find uh, similar designs in Malay manuscripts. So uh, thank you very much for that and I appreciate any comments and insights that you might have. Thank you. Thank you.